Indeed Pod, a podcast about indie tabletop role-playing games where I interview creators about their games and inspirations and about the theory, process and practice of game design. My name is Mark Shepard, your host today and always, and your friendly local indie enthusiast. Today, in place of the expected interview, I'm bringing you my delightful conversation with game designer and ex-podcast host Alex Roberts, creator of For the Queen, Starcrossed and the Backstory Podcast. Alex was kind enough to make space for me in her busy schedule, and this was one of the warmest, nicest chats I've had as part of Yes Indeed Pod. Now that's out of my head and into yours, let's talk indie. So, today we're talking to Alex Roberts. Hi there, Alex, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely no problems. It's, I don't know, um, I wouldn't say it was an honour, but it's very nice to have you here because your podcast was one of the ones that in, inspired mine. So. Oh, thank you so much. And you can say honour. I, I, my ego can take it, don't worry. <laughs> okay, it's definitely an honour then. Would you like to take a minute to introduce yourself and let us know what you do in indie tabletop role-playing games? Although I also want to extend that to analog games. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. So yeah, my name is Alex Roberts. I'm a game designer and also like writer. Uh, I have worked on a lot of different things, I guess. <laughs> you know, I used to make video <laughs> games. I don't anymore. I but did yeah, not so, know that. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole thing. So yeah, I probably am best known for uh, my tabletop role-playing games, Starcrossed, which is the two-player game of Forbidden Love that uses a Jenga tower and for the Queen, which is a card-based storytelling game that is truly profoundly zero prep. You can take this game out of the box and begin playing literally immediately and you can play for 20 minutes or you can play for four hours. Either way, you're pretty likely to get a satisfying story out of it. It is the game you can play with your friends who don't play role-playing games. That should be on the box, really. So those are kind of like, <laughs> those are like my big successful things. Um, but I also have a lot of different little games in anthologies and things. Um, I have a game called Pop in the Erotic Art Games Anthology that's about um, a community of people who are sexually into balloons. But I also put out like a little zine game last year that is a solo journaling game about being a cute, precious little animal. Uh, it's called <laughs> Precious Little Animal. Yeah, I don't even know sweet. where to be. I, yeah, I don't even yeah. know where to start. <laughs> that cute little animal game does sound really sweet. Um, and I had a look at it earlier and it's like delightfully illustrated, <laughs> mm. to say the least. So Thank you. I That's like that the only time I've ever illustrated my own game. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was fun and satisfying. It's very satisfying to look at. Well, you know, kudos to you because that's very cute. Um, <laughs> a long time ago, well, it feels like a long time ago now, but you used to run a podcast as well. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about Backstory? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Backstory is a show that I did on the OneShot Podcast Network. OneShot still exists. Uh, Backstory has been has been formally concluded. Did you just find everyone to talk to? Yeah, I had all the conversations. You just ran out of it, guess. Just kind of like how people have made all the role-playing games that are ever going to exist. Yes, absolutely, yeah. No, it really, I I kind of wrapped it up because I was going to grad school. So I was just like, well, I I don't have time um, for this. So I was very, very glad that I could kind of end it on my own terms and like decide to conclude. But yeah, I mean, there's a million people I could have talked to. And frankly, a lot of people I could have talked to Again, I have thoughts about that. But anyway, to let your listeners know, Mm. um, Backstory is a show that I wanted to do because 
I was having a lot of really fun, fascinating conversations with game designers, but also like people who run conventions and people who work in the publishing side of things and scholars uh, who specialize in game studies. And uh, I was really, really enjoying that. But these are like, you know, 1am at a convention type of conversations. And I was like, man, more people should get to like engage Mm. with these people and their ideas in this fun sort of conversational way rather than a sort of, you know, blog post or a tweet or whatever. And so at this time, my gosh, when was this? This was like 2015. And the One Shot Network was like two shows, uh, maybe three. And they wanted to, um, they reached out to me and uh, and Megan Dornbrock, actually, to say, hey, we want to put more shows on the network. Do you two want to do something? And so Megan did a show called Modifier, which was about like talking to people who were hacking games about the process of hacking games. And yeah, when they asked me, I said, yeah. I just want to talk to people in a way that isn't about promoing someone's latest thing but rather like really getting to know the person behind the game and their thoughts and their experiences and their Mm. process and like all of that so yeah i got to do that every other week you know i got to talk to someone whose work i was interested in very often someone who i thought was going to be really influential and i'm usually right too <laughs> i think I, you about, definitely were yeah if you look <laughs> at your really list of about, past guests i'm like oh i recognize right at least 50% right of and names. i was very something that was really important to me was a never to have a straight white man on two twice in a row <laughs> that was my way of like <laughs> maintaining a, a relatively diverse guest list and also nice. I, I was excited to pe- to talk to people whose work I really admired and I was so lucky that Jason Morningstar came on for the first episode yeah it was actually very sweet how that happened like I had pitched this idea to one shot and they said yes which I was very excited about and then the next time I was talking to people at a convention I was talking about it I talked about the way I, I, I just spoke of it. I was like you know I don't want to talk to people about your latest Kickstarter I want to talk about like you and like what goes into your games and like what informs all of that and what you what you see happening next in the world of role-playing games and I said all of this and I was talking to Jason and he was like, Alex, would you, could I be your first guest? And I was like, oh my God, Jason, I wanted to ask you, but I was too shy. Aww. So that's why, that's why, yeah, it's the first episode <laughs> and one of my so favorites cool. to this day. So, oh, so I wow. had lots of people who like, whose work I really admired and who were influential to me. And I thought, you know, made a, a big impact on the industry uh, or who had some history. You know, there's an episode with John Harper where he really talks about like, like relatively that early days. That is the days. next one up in my feed. I'm very excited oh, well, to listen I to it. Oh, well, I won't spoil it, but he had lots <laughs> of do. fun stories about, you know, the days when people couldn't yet distribute PDFs. And so it was like, I wonder if someone could send me five bucks in the mail and I could send them like uh, some, you know, my game on letter paper or whatever. So, uh, so yeah, lots of people like that. But I was also really interested in people who, you know, had maybe put out one or two things or were like working mm, on yeah. things in other people's games or something. And yeah, when I think about like, Interviews that I did with like Banana Chan, for example, or like Kira McGran, Gion Shim, you know, I, I just I, listened to that I'm one. Like, it was wonderful. Oh my gosh. Wonderful interview. Right? And it was, it, you know, it's so funny. Like I almost wish I could do follow-ups with some of these people because at the time it was like, oh yeah, I'm kind of working on my first game or whatever. Uh, you know, or I, I have these one or two little things out, but also I'm kind of starting to work on this. And now you, you're like, oh my gosh titans of industry now like like these you know huge names right yeah, yeah so in that sense it's very satisfying there's of course i absolutely do not want to listen to my old episodes i'm sure <laughs> they'll be full of things that i wish were not there there are probably entire episodes i wish were not there we don't need to get into that at the time i was stoked about it and it, it i think it's kind of an interesting yeah time yeah. capsule i mean i think it stands up you asked me this question the other day sort of posed mm. it and i think it absolutely still stands up and there's a lot of these people that are as you say still kicking around the industry making amazing games mm. like um 
or Geom, for example, mm. uh, with the Snow Queen last year. That's a massive success. Yeah. And it's just really interesting to hear all of these people in, I don't know, sort of a nascent stage, some of them. Mm. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty exciting. You know, one of the things I like oh. most about the show is how you talk to a lot of people in the LARP scene. Mm. Well, okay, I say scene. I don't like the word scene because <laughs> it doesn't refer to anything. But It's more accurate than community, but I have thoughts about that. You talk to a lot of LARP rights and it's not a community mm. that I think... Oh, no, I've said community, sorry. <laughs> it's not a group of people who I feel I have any access mm. to. And I just think that's yeah. really interesting because you're introducing these people to role players. Were these people really influential in your game design? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Oh, hugely. And, you know, I had been playing, you know, I played like a bit of D&D in high school and then I kind of like didn't play for a while. And then I had a really, really good group who kind of introduced me to like independent role-playing games and stuff that was actually new and exciting that I really fell in love with. And so I started doing that. But I, when I started LARPing, it was like, whoa, like life-changing. I was so thrilled. Like some of my just absolute peak gaming experiences, possibly peak experiences in general, um, were were playing live action games. And I was very lucky that like, you know, and and this is no shade to vampire LARPers or boffer LARPers, people playing with swords in the woods is inherently good. And I support it with all all my heart. But that wasn't really the kind of LARP that I got into. I started Mm. talking to people who were like, writing these like super short scenario LARPs that were inspired by theater and inspired by improv and inspired by by independent tabletop role playing games. And we're just sort of the getting up and moving around version of that thing. Yeah. So I w- it was just like amazing to me and fascinating. So, but it's also LARP is an oral tradition. You can read a bit of scholarship on LARP. There's the LARP book out there somewhere that is, you know, pretty good if you want to like, you know, write a LARP, I guess. But <laughs> it, you actually just kind of have to do it and talk to people about it. And that's, yeah. that's like how you get exposed to it. So it definitely was something that really excited me because the idea of like sharing LARPing and even just the ideas of LARP rights um, with sort of tabletop gamers and tabletop designers, um, because it was just such an incredibly rich tradition. And honestly, like absolutely no question. I really think that Starcrossed in particular, which is the first game that I published, it reads like a LARP and it plays like a LARP. The rule book is incredibly short. It's kind of written procedurally, like do this, then that. Yeah. It relies on a tangible embodied mechanic to evoke like an emotional embodied response. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's totally written like a LARP. It's kind of a sit down LARP. I totally agree. I mean, I haven't, uh, to my shame, I haven't actually played Starcross, but I've heard a lot of mm. actual plays of it. And absolutely, it, it feels much more dramatically focused than mm-hmm. certainly D&D, but like a lot of other indie games <laughs> out there as well. And it's kind of only a tabletop game by convention, I guess, then the, the, the fact that you are sitting there with this artifact in front of you. Yeah, yeah. And that's really interesting as well. And then I feel like For the Queen definitely has that feel of this is something that we play together because mm. it's on cards, you know? <laughs> I think that's how you, you can interact with that in a much more physical mm-hmm. way. I agree. And I think also like for me, you know, if you want to define the difference between a tabletop and a live action experience, it's whether or not there's a table yeah. involved. But when you think about how those design traditions like grew and like emerged and developed, and this is not really true anymore, actually, I would argue, because I mean, first of all, LARP has been changed so much by the past few years. And, you know, the, the scene that I'm describing in, in many ways doesn't exist right now. Not that people aren't LARPing, but also LARPers have started to talk to tabletop folks and tabletop folks have 
been exposed to LARPing. And so I think there's more there's more mixing. But at certainly at the time, certainly in 2015, they were really separate traditions that didn't talk to each other that much. Yeah. And so there was like really different conventions. There were different tropes, different expectations, different formats. Mm. And even though I loved tabletop role-playing games and it's a more accessible format in certain ways, I have thoughts on that, the way that LARPs were written as a procedure rather than as a bunch of rule books start doing stuff and if something comes up check in the rule book what to do really i don't know just works yeah. for me just works for me as as an um as a designer and, and also as a player it absolutely mm. works for me as a reader of games mm. as well like mm-hmm. that's how, that's how i write because procedure seems important to me but it definitely feels like if you get it then it's going to work for you and i feel like the story mm. game tradition in tabletop games as well is sort of a similar kind of procedural feel it's not this quite the same as yeah. here's a big bunch of rules <laughs> or rulings yeah. you know to to touch the osr as well and then it, it's very interesting <laughs> to to kind of compare that to something which inherently feels like it would be a lot more fluid and freeform and procedurally driven yeah well that's really interesting to me yeah and i think that's you know for me because like i said i played a bit of DD and and i was like oh this is like fun you know whatever but the games that i got really really excited about games that i was playing you know in like 2013 2014 were games like fiasco and games like dread um mm, yeah. and games that were about something really 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 specific that were the opposite of like, oh, you know, you can do anything in this world and we'll just make rules or provide structure to allow for rulings. Instead of doing that, it's like, no, no, let's like set you up to just like have this extremely specific experience. I think it's really interesting that you mentioned both of those games because those are ones that (laughs) a lot of people have said to me. Those are games that you can Mm -hmm. play with people who aren't role players, which is what you've literally just said about For the Queen as well. (laughs) And you said back there that um, you feel like LARP is a more accessible format. I mean, do you mean that in an approachability kind of way? Or? I actually, I should clarify. I meant that tabletop is more accessible. Oh, okay. And what right. I should have said was approachable, right? Like accessible means a bunch of different things and it's dependent upon what an individual's accessibility needs are. I misspoke like a politician. I don't think you did. Perhaps I just misheard. <laughs> so I think approachable is a better term mm. and... I think the only reason for that is because of cultural reputation. Playing a board game is like not weird. You've probably played board games with your family. You probably played Monopoly or some other terrible board game, you know, when you were five. So it's very approachable (laughs) to play a board game, even if it's really different, uh, you know, and and about different things or has more complex or whatever. Sure. So a board game is like a very culturally, I think right now, very approachable format. And then a role-playing game is kind of approachable because it's like, well, it kind of looks and feels like a board game, even though what we're about to do and all of the like design ethos that goes into it might be profoundly different. Mm. And then LARP is like a weird thing, right? LARP is like a weird <laughs> thing. LARP is like, is like, you know, vampires and foam swords and, and stuff. And, and basically theater. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Improvisational and so, theater. And people are afraid oh, of that. Oh, I know. Oh, for some totally. reason. <laughs> and there's, people are self-conscious, which makes sense. And like, because it's embodied, to me, that's a feature and not a bug, but embodied is like a scary word for lots of people. Why do I want to be in my body? You know, it's a horrifying place to be. Yeah. I think taking some, a lot of inspiration from the live action stuff that I was doing, but really creating something that really is a tabletop role-playing game and really kind of looks like a board game, Mm. I think makes it approachable. And like, if people have a good time, play my game, I'm happy. If someone says, oh, 
this person I know who never played role-playing games played this with me and had a good time. That's my ultimate success. That is my platinum medal. If someone (laughs) says, yeah, I played this with my partner or my kid or my parent or, you know, my friend who's just not into these things and they really enjoyed it. That makes me happy. And, and really like for the queen is just a bunch of cards. Starcrossed kind of has an existing board game. Shout out Leslie Scott, creator of Jenga. Couldn't have done it without you. I had no idea that that was who created Jenga. Thanks for that. Oh yeah, she's (laughs) in the thanks. It looks like a board game and it feels physically perhaps like a board game. That's when we get you because then it starts to feel like a role-playing game and then it feels as intense as a live-action role-playing game, which are so so emotionally focused. You know, I think that's actually the thing that I responded to in and was really into in the LARP tradition that I was kind of introduced to was like, you think first about how's the player going to feel and then everything like follows that. Which is sort of the gold standard of role-playing games, I guess. Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Okay, no, I mean, it's the gold standard of a certain kind of role-playing games, which I'm into. (laughs) Um, That, you Mm -hmm. know, you want to feel embodied. You know, you want to feel like you're playing, you are that character, not just playing that character. But I think the physicality Mm. of being in a character is definitely going to, it reinforced that for you, isn't it? It should make it easier. I mean, I'm speaking very much in the abstract as I have never played a lot, but I would very much Ooh, like to. It would be very fun. Would you like to recommend one to somebody like myself who's who's never played a lot? Oh, for sure. For sure. Definitely. Actually, the one that I very often recommend to people is a LARP called Juggernaut right? Uh, by Jason Morningstar. Very easy to get. I think it's on like drive-thru RPG or something. Super easy to get. And it is also something that is a deck of cards right. that you kind of just start pulling from and you can play. So I have run this for first-time role play, uh, LARPers. I have, in fact, handed this to first-time LARPers at a convention and sent them off to a little corner of the room and they have played it and had an amazing time. Fantastic. So I know for sure you can just like hit the ground running. The premise is really interesting. It like takes place in America in the 1950s and uh, you and a bunch of other scientists have invented a device that can tell the future. So you get this little like randomized deck of cards that just are predictions that the juggernaut machine gives you. And some of them are things that happen far in the future, you know, and of course it takes place in the 50s. So their future is our past, right? So some things take place really far in the future, but some things that take place like five minutes from now, right? Like you can get a juggernaut card that's like, you know, on this day, President John F. Kennedy will be killed. Or you can get a card that's like, you know, this particular character will find the pen that he misplaced. Um, and, <laughs> and then so it's up to you, yeah. right? So it's up to you as players to like make those things true. And then it just feels kind of fun. So it's like really short. You know, you play for like an hour or two, I think. It requires zero costuming, zero setup. I mean, you can dress like it's the 50s if you want, but like you can honestly just have this deck of cards, put it on a shelf and just walk over to it and be like, oh, the machine, you know, has given me another prediction. It's super easy to play and it's it's very fun. That like sounds it's fantastic. really, really yeah. fun. I mean, there are a ton of first time LARPs that would be great, but that's actually my go-to. I, I really recommend Juggernaut if you want to give it a shot. Fantastic. I thought that asking you which LARP you'd recommend to people would be a hard question. Uh, so it was like, <laughs> ah, damn, that was obviously not a hard enough question. You probably get asked it a lot. I do. And I feel like I do usually have a different answer, but um, I was just going through some stuff from a convention for some reason, I needed something from my old, from files. And so I was looking at stuff from a convention that I was at and I just remembered like, oh yeah, I ran into these people who like wanted to play a game 
wanted to play a LARP. I wasn't able to like actually run something for them. And so I literally just did hand them a copy of Juggernaut and say, okay, bring it back to me when you're done. And uh, they came back so happy and so stoked and so excited. <laughs> so I was just oh, thinking That's really that. cool. It sounds like a really fun game <laughs> and definitely one that I'm going to try and pick up. I know you've done quite a lot of work for Bully Pulpit, haven't you, in the in the past? Yes, definitely. It feels like a company that's very much straddling that line between role-playing game and live-action role-play. And that's really cool. That's yeah. really, really interesting to me. Um, the one I'm thinking of is about radioactive bison wandering around Chernobyl. <gasps> oh, yeah. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, it's called Radioactive Bison. Oh, it's called Radioactive Bison. That's easy then. <laughs> yeah. And it's based on a real phenomenon, which is just that these bison, you know, kind of wandered into a place that was radioactive and then near some where people live. And so there's this question of, uh, you should read the game because it has more detail. But basically, um, I think I have it half of you play yeah. scientists. Yeah. It's really, it's really good. I've played it. And speaking of embodied, like it's very fun to be a scientist, and it's also very to fun to just be <laughs> to be a bison cool. and be, you know, yeah, a pain in the butt and everything. Yeah, that's a that's a very fun one. That sounds really uh, cool. Speaking of just the joy of embodiment, yeah. But yeah, I worked I worked actually for Bully Pulpit just doing like their marketing and admin and like you know project management and stuff like that. The reason why Starcrossed got probably got published at all was because at that time the company was just Jason and Steve Sagetti. And we had like multiple meetings where they were like, Yeah, we want our next game to be like maybe like not a Jason game. Like it would be really cool to publish someone else's game, but you know, it'd have to be a really good fit and it would have to whatever, whatever. So we had this like conversation multiple times before I went, Oh, uh I I'm writing a role-playing game. It's like Forbidden Love, it's two-player, uses a Jenga tower. I don't know if you guys want to like look at that. And so they did in fact look at it and they were like, <laughs> this rules actually. And it was very much unfinished. Jason really helped me, uh, both of them really helped me kind of take it over the finish line. Fantastic. Yeah. And like, that's, that's cool. literally, I don't know if I ever would have finished it without that. So it was my first role-playing game that I ever got published because I was like, oh yeah, haha, uh, maybe you could if you want publish mine it's super interesting yeah because yeah. uh, where i'm sitting in like where i'm listening to backstory at the moment it's still called tension and i'm like ah, oh, i have foreshadowing oh, right. of this game <laughs> but that's really interesting to me as well because adira slattery yeah. then wrote a game called tension which is about um yes. which is sort of about forbidden love but in a kind of much more cat and mouse way which i'm super into oh my god do you want more trivia more gossip i absolutely want more trivia and gossip yeah <laughs> okay okay because starcross started as just like a hack of dread and so i was like tension instead of dread haha very good <laughs> um but then i mean it, it it changed a lot and now it, it you know the only thing it has in common with dread is is the tower and then there's actually a real like published trademark named card game called tension and like someone pointed this out to me and i oh, was like no, oh shoot okay rubbish. so we had to rename it <laughs> yeah it was annoying but i think starcrossed is a way better name multiple people suggested it to us but also um actually catherine uh who is steve Sagetti's wife put it out there really early and was like oh yeah starcrossed you know like starcrossed lovers and then we looked at name. a million different yeah. things and then just came. it's it's not bad right yeah. so i think it's a better name overall but also when i finally picked out the new name for it i was talking to april kit walsh and i was like oh yeah my game we just renamed it and it turned out that she had been working on a game that she was had tentatively titled Starcrossed. No way. And, <laughs> right? And she was like, oh, no. So she was like, oh, I guess I'll have to name it. So she was like, okay, well, I'll just put this placeholder name on it that's like kind of silly and like a joke. You know, obviously, I'm not really going to call it that. But the name of that game was 
thirsty sword lesbians oh which has since yeah been this like wow. massive success well i always thought it's that huge. was a very it's snarky name <laughs> it, well that's and it was literally just like okay well i'll just i'll just call it this for now and we'll come up with a real name but later. that is such a better name for it than starcross it's a way so, better name it's really good oh, right? so cool. i'm very impressed with that <laughs> Yeah. And I actually have, there's like a whole book of supplements for that game and like uh, hacks and like different settings. Yeah. And I wrote a setting for it uh, called, with uh, some different rules called hyenas, um, in which you play hyenas. Wow. Because why not? Hyenas are cool. Hyenas are very cool. (laughs) Yeah. Very cool and weird. And they have very interesting. Yeah. We could have a whole other hour in which I just talk about hyenas. I mean, that would be cool, but maybe, maybe not. I mean... (laughs) So yeah, well that's a lot of that's a lot about your game history. Absolutely, that's really cool. <laughs> I know, seriously. <laughs> I'm, it's it's all reminiscing and more stories right now. I'm interested to know what you're working on now and what you're working on next. Mm. So I'm working on a couple of different. Is things. it secret? It's not a secret. I love talking about my own projects. <laughs> so I'm working on a bunch of different things. One of them is like a fun collaboration with my good buddy Paul Smith, uh, who I've played games with but has never made a role playing game before, and we're working on a game called Baseball Episode in which you can take your characters from either from some fictional thing that you like or like from the game that you're currently playing and just have a very special episode in which they play baseball for no reason. (laughs) Yeah, which is like such a fun. I really love the like the Star Trek baseball episode and like there's a Sonic X baseball episode. The Samurai Champloo baseball episode is so good. So anyway, (laughs) we're working on that. It's fun. It's in progress. It's like good. We're playtesting it. It's people are having fun, but it's not quite done yet. So Keep an eye out for that. That sounds cool. But great. A uh, project that may or may not ever see the light of day is a sequel to For the Queen called For the Cube about a loathsome cube. I mean, it's about a cube okay. of tungsten that has no purpose and is simply a horrible burden on your life. Oh, wow. That sounds kind of bleak, but also wonderful. It's very bleak. And we've done one playtest so far, and everyone was saying the most horrific, sad things I've ever heard in my life, and also laughing really hard at the same time. Uh, so perfect. That's it's the kind legs. of mood I like, yeah. yeah. Exactly, right? It needs some work. It's I'm not paying enough attention to it right now, because the other thing that I'm working on right now uh, is another follow-up to For the Queen that, again, I have no idea what final form this will take. I don't know if I want to publish it at all, but here's a scoop, uh, just exclusive for your podcast, oh, wow. um, is... A very explicitly erotic version of For the Queen. Okay, I'm down yeah. with that. Have you played For the Queen? No, I have not. I would like to. <laughs> I heard a lot of excellent actual plays, I think, including one you've played yourself. But mm-hmm. I have not, unfortunately, played oh, it. We should play sometime. Um, but uh, you may have noticed that, because again, the whole game revolves around this queen. Everyone at the table is answering some very ambiguous questions about her. Some of the questions set her in quite a positive light. Others kind of imply that she's done some pretty messed up stuff. But she is in power and completely in control. And something that is true from the beginning of the game is that you love the queen. And at the end of the game, you have to decide whether or not you would defend her with your life, which is kind of a separate question from whether or not you love her, but that tends to be in flux as well. And so people develop these very strong character emotions about this figure. Right, yeah. And really, like, the questions that come up on these cards are not really about other people at the table. They're really about a queen who no one at the table plays. So it's just this entirely projected figure. So that game can be a lot about a lot of different things, and people project a lot of different things onto the queen, their feelings about authority and power and royalty and intimacy and 
and devotion and love and whatever. But sometimes people kind of get a little horny for the queen. And there's just something about this incredibly powerful woman who like holds your life in her hands that um, sometimes, yeah, people get very excited about that. And uh, <laughs> right. there's nothing in the game that is explicitly like, you, you know, you and the queen have a sexual relationship, but it happens like kind of weirdly a lot. So what I'm working on right now is a version of For the Queen where that's actually front and center. It's explicitly part of the game. It's assumed and it comes up a lot and it kind of all revolves around that. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah. I I feel like it's a subject you talk a lot about in backstory as well, you know, like relationships Mm. and sexual content in games and like it's not something that I'm usually familiar with or comfortable in having in my games, Mm -hmm. but I think it's it's really interesting to enable that for other people. I don't know what design mm-hmm. steps go into that other than discussions upfront about safety and so on. Totally. I mean, I would argue it's very similar to the way that you scaffold and support um, horror role-playing. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, you want to give people the ability to be as scared as they would like to be. And also what scares people is incredibly subjective and individual. Mm. And so you want to give people a lot of leeway. You know, you don't really want to supply the horror. You kind of actually, as much as possible, want people to fill in the blanks themselves with what scares them because it is so subjective. You want to both like support um, that kind of play and also make sure that everyone at the table kind of has like limiters on, on what is visible and what is present and what is spoken of and what isn't. So yeah, it's actually, it's, it's kind of the same. So I think um, anyone who runs a really good horror role-playing game could probably also have either, you know, implied or to whatever degree of explicitness, um, good, good romantic and sexual uh, content at the table. So yeah, it's, it's been fun. That sounds really fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we'll see if that ever comes out. Maybe the only record of it will be my play tests, you know, and this conversation. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> that would be cool. But also I want it to come out in the world. So, you know, <laughs> let, let's let that happen. Well, it'll be out Thank in you. like August or September. So, you know, yeah, you've got time, I guess. Um, we touched on everything that I thought we were going to. So. I know, I know. I'm, I'm verbose. I can really go off. <laughs> well, that's good, you know. It's definitely good for a podcast guest that as you no doubt have <laughs> recollections. You've are. also heard me on Backstory a lot, which is me trying to speak as little as possible and not always getting there, but trying so hard to be like, I am the, I'm the interviewer, not the interviewee. <laughs> I will say as little as humanly possible. But that just means that when I get the opportunity to be yeah. interviewed or indeed even to be in a conversation about game design, I can really go. I talk to people who I consider to be my internet friends at least and like mm-hmm. we often have conversations which are it, it should be an interview you know i should be talking maybe five to ten percent of the time and it ends up being me talking 50 percent of the time like that's still kind of cool we still have a really interesting conversation you know <laughs> oh yeah absolutely and like i think also thinking about podcasting like there is the interview format which i was like very uh very attached to doing backstory but like there's also conversation i think the majority of people want to listen to a conversation um, and when I think about the shows that I really like and listen to a lot, it's a conversation. Mm. And that also is something that like is really important. And I do think it's how most people learn about game design is by talking about it yeah. with people. 
when it comes to tabletop role-playing games, like there's stuff you can read. And I mean, ultimately the best way, the one thing you have to do is read a lot of games and play a lot of yeah. different games. Yeah. Playing a lot of games is the key, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you gotta. And it's sometimes hard to get games set up or to get people into like weird different games, but you can always at least read them, you know, and listen to lots of, I guess like listen to actual plays, but I also have thoughts about how like an actual play is designed to entertain. Yeah. And so it's being played in a way that is entertaining. And so that might not always be reflective of like what a good role playing game is like and how it and feels. And it's usually curated and edited as well, yeah. which is, is going to have a different. Exactly. Which is good. And like you should do that if you want to entertain people and, and um, show them a good time. But it's so different from what a good role playing game yeah. feels like. And, and is experienced as like, you know, the, the really, really great experiences that I have had role playing, like might not sound that great if they were recorded and also are like incredibly unphotogenic, mm. you know, they don't, they don't look like cool people having a cool time. It looks like, what am I looking at right now? Great LARP is horribly unphotogenic. <laughs> um, yeah. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's like a lot of things, you know, like the real friendships and like real connections that you have with people don't look anything like what an entertaining relationship on TV okay. is like, yeah. you know, and people who are really dashing, stylish, incredible, you know, celebrities are completely different from like what a really, you know, wonderful friend is like. And I think role playing in itself is like this weird, like intersubjective experience where it's very internal. It's also inherently a shared imaginative ex experience with people at the table. Yeah. You know, I said like, you know, romance is very subjective and horror is very subjective, but like, so is literally everything. Like everything that, that, everything that you think is cool and that you think is interesting and that you think is funny. If you have to be thinking about an external audience, you have to be thinking about what they think is cool and interesting mm, and funny yeah, and whatever. Yeah. But when, man, when you're at a table with people and it's just two of you or it's just three or four or five of you and the only thing that matters is what we think is funny or what we think is scary or what we think is meaningful or we think is interesting. Yeah. And you can just lean into that so fully. That's why role-playing is so much more satisfying than like, I think watching even the greatest movie or like watching the most amazing play, like other people can come up with things you could never imagine, which is really rad. But when you get that sense of like, this is something that is being created just for us. This is a joke that is only funny to us. This is a situation that is, you know, charged or interesting. Yeah. Only yeah. for these five people. Like, ooh, to me, that's just, that's just Absolutely. so cool. It's just so yeah. cool. <laughs> I was talking to somebody about this the other day because we'd played this game together and it was a game of Legend Has It by Adam Bell. Mm. And the person I was with mm. was like, I'm so sad that we are the only people who will understand this story. You know, it's so ephemeral. I'm like, but that's so cool, <laughs> you know? That's what's so cool about it. Yeah. And like all things are ephemeral. All things are transient and, and pass uh, and, and will be destroyed in the grand scheme of things. So like, you know, it's only a little bit more ephemeral than, I don't know, a book or a movie. If you sort of, you know, if you look at it in cosmic time. <laughs> in this age of everything being saved and yeah. recorded forever, I, I really like the idea of being off the grid of recording things. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I know, right? They say recording a podcast together, you know. But. <laughs> I know. This conversation. But like, I've had that feeling too, where I'm like, God, that was so beautiful. I wish we'd recorded it. But also being recorded or being observed changes what you do, right? Like it I does. think there are yeah. certain things yeah. that come out, you know, in private that are different than what happens in public. That just makes sense. 
And also like we are in the, in the age of like recording everything and photographing everything, We're all, which includes like being in an age of surveillance in which we are like surveilled to this unbelievable degree that no one in history ever could have predicted. Yeah. And so I think there's almost this like fun little act of defiance of doing something that is like cool and good and fun and like interesting and powerful like you know how role-playing games can be they can be silly and ridiculous or they can be like whoa like so profound and doing all of that and no one else gets to see it it's just right here at the table with us like it's you know i don't know it's thrilling (laughs) (laughs) absolutely what a great note to end on i think yeah i think you're right (laughs) Alex, would you like to tell us where we can find you on the internet? Yes, please. You could just go to helloalexroberts.com because that should probably have links to everything. But I am on Patreon, patreon.com slash helloalexroberts. I try to post there stuff that I'm working on and uh, sneak peeks of stuff and things like that. If you want to be on Twitter for some reason, I don't recommend it, but I am on Twitter at Muscular Pikachu. I think I once heard you say that the you were Muscular Pikachu and it was something that you regretted immediately, which was, I get that much. Yeah, it's so challenging to pick a username. And this was like 10 or 11 years ago. And I was scared of picking a username that I would eventually regret. And so I chose one that I would regret immediately. I like that. So one. yeah, I'm, I'm there on Twitter. And if you go on my itch.io, page uh find me there i'm hello alex roberts i think yes that's where i have been releasing things lately because i haven't done like a big major release in a while but i am putting up little things there's like a two-player game called our time on earth there which can be played like asynchronously over long distance i'm probably going to put something new up there in the next little while that's probably where a baseball episode will go very nice and also it contains something i'm very proud of which is uh, a collaboration with my friend dana johnson Uh, We made a board game together. It's the only board game I've ever made. And it's a print and play thing on itch. We also made a trailer for it. Like we filmed a video here locally starring Dana. And she did all the illustrations. She's a very talented artist. So yeah, it's up there on itch.io. HelloAlexRoberts.itch.io. Find me there. Everyone in the world, please download and play our game, which is called Rat Trash Party. um, (laughs) About rats competing to collect the most trash okay yeah please do yeah that it's, sounds wonderful it's wonderful and obscene and strange and uh, i'm very proud of it <laughs> <laughs> super cool well alex uh, i guess that's it mm-hmm. and all that remains is for me to say thank you very much for coming on yes indeed pod and fantastically good luck with creating your weird erotic sequel to for the queen <laughs> thank you so much i need all the luck i can get <laughs> yeah we'll see what happens thank you so much for having me it's a really really fun discussion thank you thanks for listening and thanks again to alex for the interview as always you can find all of the links in the episode description next month sees the return of zine quest to celebrate, we're interviewing at least three creators about their crowdfunding campaigns. First up is Ben Wallace, aka That Gamer Priest, about Broken, a duet story game about the breakdown of a relationship in which you collect and break a collection of items. This was a wonderful chat, so tune in next time to find out more. This week's episode has been kindly sponsored by Beyond Cataclysm Games and the What Is Roleplay podcast. Beyond Cataclysm is a friendly little micro-publisher and zine distro who aim to combine heart and excellence in all their projects. Check out beyondcataclysm.co.uk to check out the web store, featuring physical copies of many of the fine RPGs you've heard discussed here on Yes Indeed Pod, as well as hundreds of others. I'm told they also put in freebies into pretty much every order, so you know, that's nice. 
Beyond Cataclysm also runs the What is Roleplay podcast, a beginner-friendly exploration of the world of indie tabletop roleplay. Each episode features a topic such as dice, character creation, or death, with examples taken from across the scene and an actual play with a guest presenter, including next time, yours truly. You can listen on the Beyond Cataclysm site or on a podcast app of your choosing. Finally, check out Beyond Cataclysm at Beyond Cataclysm on social media. They like conversations, photos of dogs, and seeing the cool stuff that you do. This week, I'd like to thank some of my incredible Patreon supporters. Audrey Shankle, Patrick Buchner, Thomas Elliott, Carl Rigney, Dono McCarthy, Craig Duffy, and Dale Blackburn. Thank you all so much. We couldn't do what we do without you. And you, yes, you can get a regular shout out and joyful thanks too if you go to patreon.com slash yesindeedpod and sign up today. You'll get access to our Discord server where we can hang out and chat and even join monthly editing streams and the Yes Indeed Pod book club. Most of the money will go directly to creators rather than to me, so you'll be investing directly in the indie scene, helping to make it a healthy and inclusive place for years to come. And if you can't commit regularly, you can always help out by rating and reviewing the show wherever you find your podcasts, or by donating through the Ko-Fi page at ko-fi.com slash yesindeedpod. Of course, you can always reach out to me through Twitter at yesindeedpod, that's Y-E-S-I-N-D-I-E-D-P-O-D. I'd love dearly to hear from you. Lastly, music credits. All music is taken from Be Quiet by Yatsar from the Free Music Archive, released under Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 International License. Thanks, Yatsar. And until next time, remember, does indie need you? Yes, indeed.